Uh, Sally's going to read another reading for us, taken from the first letter of Paul to the Corinthians, uh, chapter 15 and beginning at verse 35. But someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? Fool, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And as for what you sow, you do not sow the body that is to be, but a bare seed, perhaps of wheat or of some other grain. But God gives it a body as he has chosen, and to each kind of seed its own body. Not all flesh is alike, but there is one flesh for human beings, another for animals, another for birds, and another for fish. There are both heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly is one thing, and that of the earthly is another. There is one glory of the sun, and another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars. Indeed, stars differ from star in glory. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a physical body, it is raised a spiritual body. If there is a physical body, there is also a spiritual body. Thus it is written, The first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the physical and then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust, the second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so are those who are of the dust. And as is the man of heaven, so are those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we will also bear the image of the man of heaven. What I am saying, brothers and sisters, is this. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Listen, I will tell you a mystery. We will not all die, but we will all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we will be changed. For this perishable body must put on imperishability and this mortal body must put on immortality. When this perishable body puts on imperishability and this mortal body puts on immortality, then the saying that is written will be fulfilled. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh death, is your victory? Where, O oh death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved, be steadfast, immovable, always excelling in the work of the Lord, because you know that in the Lord your labour is not in vain. The 18th of June, 1815, 
was a most significant date in British history. Wellington faced Napoleon at Waterloo. The future of the British nation was at stake. The British people were on tenterhooks waiting for the news. There was a lookout posted on the top of a tower at Winchester Cathedral, and he peered out towards the English Channel, waiting for the message. At last, a ship came into sight, partly obscured by the fog that had accumulated in the Channel. At last, the message was given by semaphore, and with bated breath, the signalman on the cathedral tower deciphered the message. Wellington defeated. The worst had happened and the depressing news was relayed around the country. From signal beacon to signal beacon, the people of Britain were devastated. However, sometime later, the fog lifted and that message was sent again from the ship. Wellington defeated Napoleon at Waterloo. What was the signal that came from the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ? What was the signal we received from that bleeding, dying body on the cross with its mocking sign nailed to it, the King of the Jews? The message received was this, Jesus defeated. However, as the fog cleared, the first day of the week comes, and under a clear blue Palestinian sky and an empty tomb, the full message is seen. Jesus defeated death. You see, the resurrection unveils for us the true identity of Jesus. His friends buried him in a tomb. God raised him to a throne. And that Sunday morning 2,000 years ago marked the beginning of a new age. You see, the resurrection is absolutely pivotal to the gospel, and to our faith. And the verses that Julie read from Mark's gospel are the zenith of Mark's accounts of the life of Jesus. Without those few verses, we have no gospel. What Mark writes makes no sense at all without those final eight verses. If the tomb of Jesus of Nazareth is not an empty tomb, then at best Jesus was only a man who was very good, the goodness of the like that had never been seen before and had never been since, but still only a man. Yes, he would be arrested, ill-treated, executed, and yes, he would die, but always, always, he would rise again. 
And the truth is that if this grave is not empty, then Mark's first sentence in chapter 1 and verse 1 of his gospel needs adjusting. For at the beginning of his gospel, Mark says this, he describes his gospel as the beginning of the gospel about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And the validity of that opening sentence of Mark's gospel is absolutely dependent upon those last eight verses. If there's no erection, sorry, if there's no resurrection, there's no Christ. If there's no resurrection, then there's no Son of God. If Jesus is not the Christ, if Jesus is not the Son of God, then our faith is misplaced and entirely futile. You see, there is no Christianity without a literal bodily resurrection of the man Jesus. And scripture tells us that Jesus really did die. Joseph of Arimathea took the body of Jesus from the cross and gave our Lord an honourable burial in his own grave. The body was laid on a stone slab. The grave was secured with a large stone. And the authorities made absolutely sure of this by adding their official seal and including a military guard at the entrance of that tomb. Now, there is no actual account of the resurrection of Jesus anywhere in the Bible. What we know is that Jesus came out of the grave and that the stone was rolled away. And the emphasis of all the gospel writers is the empty tomb. Don't be alarmed. You're looking for Jesus the Nazarene who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. The messenger didn't say where Jesus had gone, but simply and gloriously announced what had happened to him. He is risen. Death which holds everyone else had not held him. Jesus was victorious over death. So why had the stone been rolled away? Not to let our Lord out, but rather to show that he had gone. And to let in these women who arrived to anoint a dead body and the disciples who would arrive later. The stone was rolled away to let them in that they might know the resurrection truth. The evidence before them was plain to see. But there was also that confirmatory word, a message to make ears and hearts tingle and minds be filled with awe and wonder. See the place where they laid him, not see the place where he lies. No body to anoint, no body to mourn over. The body isn't there. The tomb is empty. So why was this the emphasis of the gospel writers? It was stressed in case anyone should ever think that the resurrection of Jesus had all to do with his spirit and nothing to do with his body. Resurrection is utterly physical. 
It means that the body of Jesus was raised to life, a body raised and transformed, yes, a glorified body. A body fully raised from death, and you know not a single atom was left in that tomb to decay and return to the dust of the earth. And that promise of scripture for you and me is that as God's people, we will also share in our Lord's resurrection. Though we die, yet our bodies will be raised, just as the body of Jesus was raised. And it will be a real and actual, just as the resurrection of Jesus was real and actual. And yet, despite overwhelming evidence, from that day on, there have always been those who doubt the resurrection. And there will be many today, probably not far from where we are, who will be eating their Easter eggs, the great symbol of new life, the visual aid that reminds us of the resurrection, the empty shell that bore life. There will be many who will be eating their eggs and that whole truth will have passed them by. And you know, Paul faced doubters and skeptics 15 years after the resurrection had actually taken place. And he wrote his letter to the Corinthians. The Corinthians, that sophisticated bunch of intellectuals of their day. A bit like us at Lum, I suppose. And he had already reminded the Corinthian church that whilst the intellectual thinkers of the day will view the cross as foolishness, yet for the believer, the cross is the very power of God. And Paul goes on in chapter 15 to address the concerns, the fears, the doubts, even within the church, concerning the resurrection. And I want you and me to be reminded of that wonderful truth of the resurrection And particularly what it means for you and me today. For we all share in Christ's resurrection. And that gives us great joy, it gives us great hope, and it gives us certain eternal future. Now some of the Corinthian Christians were worried about the resurrection and what it would mean for them. And perhaps deep down, we too share their concerns and therefore need to be reminded about the glorious reality of being sharers in the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. And I don't think it would be an inappropriate question for each one of us today to ask, what's in it for me? What does Christ's resurrection mean for me personally? And that's the question I want us to look at for the rest of our thinking this morning. Now somebody had already asked Paul a question and he raises this in 1 Corinthians 15 and chapter 35 where he writes, but someone may ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body will they come? And Paul responds and explains that our resurrection bodies will be different from our earthly bodies. 
And he explains this through a very useful illustration of what happens when we plant seeds. Paul writes, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. When you sow, you do not plant the body that will be, but just a seed, perhaps of wheat or of something else. And the point Paul is making is this, a seed is apparently dead. When we put a seed in the palm of our hand, it really doesn't shout out life to us. In fact, it's often rather unattractive. It's something to be hidden in the ground. This wizened, hard, dry seed is necessary for the transformation into a beautiful and living plant. Many years ago, I recall a minister giving an address at a funeral service, and he helpfully described death as being like sowing a seed. Though a person dies a physical death, this is not the end, but rather death is the very seed that leads to our resurrection. Death plants the seed of the resurrection body. And that resurrection body will be glorious and magnificent in comparison to our earthly bodies, which deteriorate and decay. And I think this is a truly wonderful and encouraging aspect of sharing with Christ in his resurrection. For as his body was marred and scarred and broken on the cross, yet his resurrection body is the same he has had for 2,000 years and that he will have forever where he now sits glorified in heaven. But Paul continues with his illustration of the seed that is sown to explain a further detail of the magnificence of the resurrection body that one day will belong to you and to me. He writes, The body that is sown is perishable, it is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. One of the greatest tragedies of our lives is the direct effect of the fall. This happened and is recorded for us in Genesis chapter 3. It affects every one of us. It means that we grow old. It means that our bodies and minds deteriorate. We experience sickness. We feel pain. And for many, getting old is difficult and can be fearful. But we have great hope, and our hope is in our resurrection bodies, bodies that will be imperishable and bodies that will be free from all physical imperfections that today we suffer. Paul wrote most clearly on this. It is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. And the point Paul is making is that death is essentially 
dishonorable. It destroys the earthly bodies of the weak and powerful alike. It destroys those who are lovely and those who are not. It makes no distinction. No one escapes death. Even our Lord suffered dishonor in his dying body. Indeed, the prophet Isaiah gave a graphic description of our Lord's suffering uh, as he gave his prophecy. And he wrote this, he said, Just as there were many who were appalled at him, this is reference to our Lord Jesus Christ, just as there are many who are appalled at him, his appearance was so disfigured beyond that of any man and his form marred beyond human likeness. So writes Isaiah in chapter 52. But Paul writes, it is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. And today we suffer not only physical weakness, but also spiritual weakness. We are still tempted. We sin. We fall short of the glory of God and we are unable to discern or enact the perfect will of God. But praise be, you and I, will be raised in power. Such is the contrast between our dying bodies sown in dishonor and our resurrection bodies raised in glory. Paul goes on to pull together the whole of human history and contrasts our legacy of sin through our ancestor Adam and the new life we receive in Jesus Christ. He writes, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam, a life-giving spirit. And Paul brings this whole thinking to a wonderful climax in verse 48 of his chapter 15. He writes, the first man was of the dust of the earth, the second man from heaven. As was the earthly man, so are those who are of the earth. And as is the man from heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. And then he goes on to say, And just as we have borne the likeness of the earthly man, so we shall bear the likeness of the man from heaven. In other words, our resurrection bodies will be like the Lord Jesus Christ. You and I will be like the Lord Jesus Christ. This is our Lord's promise for each one of us on this Easter day. And what a wonderful day it is, a time to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ as our Saviour and Lord, but also a day to remember this wonderful promise that we have just read about, that you and I too shall be raised to glory And on that day, we will be made like our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul makes a similarly wonderful statement in his letter to the Philippians where he says this, but our citizenship is in heaven and we eagerly await a saviour from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. And you know, surely when we read things like that, it puts our lives in their true perspectives. 
As Christians, we are but travellers in this world. For we already belong to heaven. The price was paid on the cross. We are citizens of heaven because of what Jesus did on the cross. And we will share with him also in his resurrection when our lowly bodies will be transformed to be like his glorious body. This present life of dishonour and weakness, of pain, of suffering and fear is only temporary. Our eternal place belongs in heaven where we will be made like our Lord through the resurrection of our bodies. What more do we need to know? Does this promise of sharing in the resurrection of our Lord not liberate us in our thinking? You and I need no longer cling to the things of this world. After all, we're only travellers through this world. If you like, we're actually on vacation from heaven, which is our true home. If you and I need assurance in our lives, then we need look no further than our risen ascended, glorified Lord. Don't be alarmed. You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. And Paul himself concludes with a great shout of triumph in that section that we read from chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians. And he writes, when the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God... He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So let us each and let us collectively today rejoice greatly in that shout of triumph given by Paul. Let us share the victory cry of Easter, not just today, but on every future day that we remain as mere travellers on this earth, awaiting our final resting place in heaven, which is our true home. Thanks be to God. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.